he's discovered that audiences really identify with Mother Courage. (laughs) They really empathize with her. They have a lot of pity for her. They have an emotional connection to the story that's being told. Hello and welcome to No Script, the unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Thank you for listening to another one of these podcasts about theater's best scripts. And this podcast is no exception, y'all. We're going a little bit deeper in the books than the most recent ones we've been doing, but grabbing out another just like theater classic yeah, in from fact, the library. This, I mean, we're going deeper in terms of back in time, but also like higher up in terms of it being one of theater's best scripts. I mean, this would be widely considered among one of the great scripts in all of theaterdom across Mm -hmm. all of theater history. Today, we are talking about the striking play Mother Courage and Her Children by Bertolt Brecht. Yes, Mother Courage and Her Children. This is the second Brecht play that we have done on this podcast. The first one was Galileo. I think last season we did Galileo, um, which is a great play. Uh, but this one is going to lean into some of those same themes. So I'm sure we'll, I'm, I'm looking forward. Brecht is always a fun uh, playwright to engage because of his epic theater and his theater of alienation. So I'm excited to kind of suss out some of those themes from this yeah, play. Yeah, it'll definitely lean into the same structure and the same style. Uh, in terms of its actual theme, of course, war is going to be the major topic yeah. of discussion today. Galileo right. is a play about science and religion that I just love. But Mother Courage, is it's about something, I don't know, something closer to the heart, I think. Yeah, something more get... about this, the essence of humandom. Mm, It'll be nice. fun to talk about, especially in context of Breck's crazy wild theater of alienation. Yeah, yeah, and a a scathing critique, so I'm excited to jump in, but before we do, I do want to take just a second and thank everyone who is headed over to patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast to become a patron of the show. Uh, Longtime listeners of the show know that while this podcast is a labor of love for us. We love getting to talk about plays. We love getting to have the conversations with each other and with all of you out there in podcast land. Alas, the endeavor is not free, though. There are some fees associated with hosting this podcast and also um, the time commitment we put in, as well as trying to find all the plays that we talk about that we can't find at our local library. So, if you are looking for a way to contribute to the podcast uh, in a meaningful way that can help the podcast keep going on, head on over to to patreon.com slash no script podcast. When you get over there, you'll see there's a number of different tiers of patronship. The lowest tier is just one dollar, and I, I hope you're getting at least one dollar of worth out of this podcast. I know many of you are and have already been over to Patreon to become a patron at that level. We also have a five dollar level where you become a producer of the show and will say your name on on a given podcast. So if you have a second, if you're looking for a way to contribute to No Script the podcast, head on over to Patreon.com/NoScriptPodcast, and we will. We'll see you over there. And now, back to the script. Here we go. All right, folks. You know that we like to start by telling you a little bit about the context of the show, where it began, where it's come from, where it is now. And, you know, unless we were doing one of the Shakespeare's, it'd be hard to find a play that has got just such roots across theaterdom. So let me try to lead you through some of what's happened in the world of Mother Courage from its writing to today. Bertolt Breck wrote the play 1939. Obviously, what's going on in the world at that time? Nazi Germany. And Brecht had some things to say about the Uh war machine that was raging in the world at that time in history. It was first produced in 1941, and then it it went over and did a couple of different productions in Germany much later in the 40s. So almost 10 years later. Brecht finally was able to get the script back into Germany. It played a while in 1955. It got its London premiere. There was a a BBC television version that you can still find stuff of. Uh, American premiere 1958. In 1960, it played in the Goodman. And then I think pretty note uh, one of the major notable productions around that time it was a 1980 production that set mother courage in the middle of american reconstruction 
And this was uh, Gloria Foster was Mother Courage at that time. But people that especially, you know, are in our public language still right now, Morgan Freeman and Samuel L. Jackson was were in those productions, uh, was, was in that production in the 80s. 1984, Dame Judi Dench was in a production. She was Mother Courage at the Royal Shakespeare Company. In the 90s, it was produced. uh, And Diana Rigg won awards for her role. She's still lauded. That was in the National Theater. Um, Many other people have been involved in the play in a while. Gene Wilder was in a production. That was the first Broadway one back in the 60s. More recently, the Tony Kushner production that was produced uh, in the middle 2000 to 2010 decade here in America and then across the pond. Uh, Here in America, it was at the Public Theater, and that was the famous production where Meryl Streep was Mother Courage. Kevin Kline was one of the sons. And then that Tony Kushner production was over at the London Royal National Theater uh, in 2009. Fiona Shaw was in that role. The Tony Kushner production, uh, and especially the script, has it's gotten some mixed reviews in terms of the way Kushner modernized and updated some of Breck's kind of classic high language. So that's been interesting to read as I was doing some research on this, looking back at Tony Kushner, who's a playwright we've talked about, did that adaption. And some of it, some of the reviews love it. Some of it are not always fond of Mr. Kushner's production. Yeah, yeah. Or not his production, his translation. So that's kind of the 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 world in which this play was brought into, and it's important to think about that. Um, Brecht, having kind of stood through two world wars before writing this play, he uh, served in World War One and uh, then ran to Sweden and wrote the play from there in exile during Nazi Germany in in 1939. So think about that as I'm going to now try to synopsize the play for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, the play takes place during the Thirty Years' War, which is a war that took place in 1618 to 1648, and that was mostly in Central Europe. Um, the meaning of the war is not super important, but just so you have it in the back of your head, it's the Protestants fighting the Catholics, fighting the Holy Roman Empire. It's it's all that Central Europe business that's going on. So religion is a huge part of the play, um, and, and the fighting at least starts for the Thirty Years' War around religion. Into that fight steps Mother Courage and her children. Now, Mother Courage is actually uh, Anna Fer- Fearling is her is her real name, and she's a canteen lady is is uh, is her her occupation. And what that looks like is she has this wagon full of supplies that she follows around the armies with to sell uh, different wares. There's she got the name Mother Courage uh, as we'll it will bring out in the script because she uh, drove into a town that was under siege to sell food to them. Uh, so she rode through the enemy lines and sold food and uh, everyone called her Mother Courage and she got a great bargain out of it because she was able to sell all the food at a high price. Um... Who, in, the, in the script, it's just because you mentioned it right there, the the line is so great. She's like, they they call me courage because I was scared of going broke. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so she went, she goes to sell all the bread so it doesn't go bad and she loses her stocks. So mm-hmm. that's why she's called Mother Courage. With Mother Courage are uh, her two sons, Alif, who is the elder son, Swiss Cheese, yes, who is the younger son. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Good to just say that, yes. (laughs) Yes. If you're not Uh familiar with Mother Courage... Yes, his uh-huh. name is Swiss Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and then her daughter, Katrin. Um, uh, Katrin is uh, in in the uh, in the uh, character description of the play is referred to as her dumb daughter, and uh, that's not uh, necessarily a comment on her intellect, but she is mute. Um, she she does not speak throughout much of the play. Um, so this family unit is uh, kind of driving through this war-ravished Middle Europe, and uh, we follow them throughout the play as Mother Courage um, sells her wares and has to decide what sort of sacrifices she has to make to keep her business running and to keep her family alive. And and you see the push and pull throughout the play. Uh, it, go, it takes place over the course of, oh boy, I, I'm going to say 10 years. Um, uh, it's probably a little more, a little less than that, but years pass throughout this play as we follow these characters. And uh, we see the effects that war has on them and the effect that Mother Courage has on her family as she uh, 
takes advantage of wartime to make some money. Um, and that's that's kind of the dynamic throughout the play as we go. Uh, the other the other key dynamic that we see is that one by one her children are lost to her. Um, uh, at, at first, her eldest son, Alif, is uh, recruited into the army. And then her younger son is recruited into the army as a kind of a clerk or a uh, pay manager. He's the honest son. And uh, then eventually Katrin is killed as a part of the conflict as well. So we see the the slow loss of her family throughout the play as she is trying to survive through a, a terrible conflict. Hence Mother Courage and her children. The, the play is... A- centered around this idea of Mother Courage one by one losing her children. Of course, the play is is famously anti-war, right? Brecht writes this play as a criticism of the war complex. You know, nowadays we might use the phrase the war industry. And Mm -hmm. there is not, perhaps in all of literature, a more highlighted, clear, sharp representative of war profiteering than poor Mother Courage, who's not right. what we would think of today as a billionaire selling missiles to both sides, but a very poor woman who makes her money selling goods and supplies to soldiers and who only makes money if there's a war on. Right. Someone who stands to profit only if if the war continues, if people are desperate for supplies, and so she can kind of move the price around for that desperation. I thought it was interesting in some of the research I was doing before this, uh, before doing this play, uh, how much Brecht wanted that kind of reaction from us of of. Uh, Mother Courage is, you know, this profiteering person and systematically ends up sacrificing her family to keep her profiteering happening. He was going for that reaction, but over and over his audiences received it as this like woman who in the midst of uh in the midst of terrible conflict pushes through and figures out a way to survive. So much so that he had to like rewrite parts of the play. Yeah, to try so to famously the initial production of Mother Courage happens and then as Brecht is moving the production into Germany he rewrites portions of the show because, just as you described, he's discovered that audiences really identify with Mother Courage. (laughs) They really empathize with her. They have a lot of pity for her. They have an emotional connection to the story that's being told. And Mr. Brecht is not about that. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, that's sort of the thing he's fighting against in his particular theater style is getting swept along in this emotional story. So famously, he rewrites some of the show and it doesn't affect anything. <laughs> yeah, he tries to highlight even more how the problems of Mother Courage, the fact that she is contributing to the death of her children, she's profiting on the death of her own children, and it mm-hmm. still doesn't matter. She's yeah. still this identifiable, some would say heroic, some at the very least pitiable, empathizable creation. Mm-hmm. And that is very interesting. If you're Mr. <laughs> Brecht, just imagine, Jackson, that you're Bertolt Brecht. Uh-huh. <laughs> play the game, and you're deciding to write an anti-war play, and you want your audiences to have an intellectual understanding of the problems of war and rise up to revolutionize. They're going to go out and make substantial changes in the world because of the theory that they learn from you and your play. You don't want them to have an emotional connection that's distracting or that, you know, releases this catharsis so that they leave the theater feeling satisfied. They want to, you know, all of that, all the Brechtian stuff. Yeah. And so you decide to write a show <laughs> where a poor old woman loses all three of her children one by one. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm working uphill if I'm Brecht. <laughs> I think so. I mean, obviously Brecht is one of the most influential theater theorists and writers of all time. You know, I think we learned in college that behind uh, Aristotle, theater theorists list him as the number two most impactful theater theorist of all time. So the guy's a, a genius, enshrined as a theater genius forever. But it is an uphill battle mm-hmm. to create a, a true alienating experience when the central character is so pitiable. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I agree. I think 
Like, <laughs> she's just trying to survive for the most part. The scene, though, that begins to shift, or I think does the most work to try to make us say, okay, maybe she is a little bit reprehensible, is the scene where Swiss cheese ends up dying. Um, and I've got to try to real quick uh, bring us into that moment. That's so fat. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about that, because I think that is, for me, that's the scene that does the exact opposite. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> go for it. Let's see cool. where we go. Cool, cool. Well, I'll just set it up for us real quick. The They've been following along with the, uh, I'm going to say, yeah, the Swedish army um, that, that is leading an assault into Poland. They've been following along with this army. They're a Protestant army, and uh, Swiss cheese has been hired by this army to be their paymaster. So, uh, um, Swiss cheese is the second son. Um, he's he's uh, he, he's he's the paymaster for the army, and all of a sudden, just to cut to the <laughs> cut to the quick here, the Catholics come in. They uh, s- surprise the army, manage to take over the base where they're at, and suddenly they're kind of in an occupied camp by the opposing side. Um, Swiss cheese has to get rid of the pay box, which is a good deal of money that he's using to pay the troops. So he brings it to Mother Courage's cart. Um, because to- not only does that pay box identify him as a Lutheran soldier, which is something he's pretending not to be so he doesn't get killed, but it's also valuable money for the Catholic soldiers. Mm -hmm. A good deal of money is in this box. He's paying an army with it. Um, He keeps it in Mother Courage's cart for a while. They hide out for a little bit, and eventually he kind of breaks and is like, no, I got to get rid of this. Everyone is very worried about the fact that the pay box is in her cart. So he takes it and throws it into the river. Well, a spy sees him do it. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) He does something with it off stage. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But one of the Catholic spies see him do it, and they capture him and take him him in. Um, and and the, the, the crux moment comes when uh, Mother Courage f- finds out that, uh, that this is happening and begins to try to rescue him by paying a bribe, basically, to the guard. Um, she, she knows that one of the spies is able to be bribed, so she sends her friend to try to talk to him to try to work out a bribe for him. And what happens in the scene is she uh, she obviously doesn't have the money, so she has to try to the the way she would get the money would be to kind of put her uh, cart up against the borrowed money from a friend of hers, and if she doesn't pay her back in the amount of time, the cart would go away, thus her livelihood would go away. This is where we're entering this kind of crux moment is is she's kind of balancing the decision to give up her cart and her livelihood to try to pay a bribe to keep her son alive. And I, I do think it's important to note that this is not how the plot begins. Yeah. The idea initially is that she was going to put her card up, pay the bribe with the money that uh, one of their friends who's a prostitute in the camp, she's managed to snag uh, an old rich guy that she, she has the money. Um, anyway, they're going to get the money from them by putting the card up, as you say. But the idea is that once they get Swiss cheese back, they can use the money from the pay box to then repay the loan. Uh, that they had taken out on the cart. And so uh, they learn, though, as this plan is unfolding, oh, crap, Swiss cheese under torture has apparently told the Catholics that he threw the pay box in the river. Now, we don't see that happen, and later we learn it might not have happened, but that's the information they have. And so suddenly Mother Kirch says, shoot, there's no (laughs) money to pay back this. So if I use this money for a bribe then I will lose the cart because mm-hmm. I won't have the money to pay back what I owe on the cart now. Right. So so this is the moment where, at least for me, and I'm, I'm curious to see where our conversation goes from here now, um, uh, <laughs> this is the moment where she has she decides whether or not, at least to some degree, whether or not her son lives. We, we find out at least the telling of her friend Yvrit, um, or Yvette, uh, is that the person will take the bribe, will take 200 gold. I'm going to say gold. It's a different monetary unit. Going to take 200 gold um, to to release her son, and she uh, bargains down. <laughs> she sends Yvette back with like 150 is the number that she gives her. And... Uh, yeah, 120, and Yvette goes off. Yvette, first of all, Yvette says, we don't really have a lot of time here. I don't think we should be bartering on this. Right. They seemed sketchy about it in the first place, and Mother Courage says, I don't have, I can't, I have to have something to live on. Go barter 120. And Yvette goes and comes back and says, they didn't take 120, and then I actually tried to offer them 150, and they still wouldn't take it. They, like, laughed at her, yeah. 
So and 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 you hear the drums in the distance. You get the idea that an execution is coming, and it's this back and forth, back and forth, and it's it ends up being too late. Uh, once to the point that she finally sends Yvette back with like a last deal to try to bargain with, and she brings back the news that they shot him. He got like sixteen bullets, is what she says. So because Mother Courage spent too long haggling over the price of her son's life is one interpretation of what happens. Uh, Swiss cheese is killed, is executed uh, because of her capitalist greed or, right. or whatever. <laughs> you go first. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, that's that for me is a moment where we see a turn. There's, there's a lot in this play that is out of the control of the characters, of the main characters especially. They're in a huge machine. They have their, I mean, their existence is tenuous. The other thing that's happening all around them is this war is there's plague, there's looting, there's all sorts of things that can, you know, kill these characters at any moment. They are struggling to survive. Um, this is a moment where uh, a plan is hatched. The means are there uh, for Mother Courage to uh, choose her family over her business. And now there's there's no, it's it's scary to lose business. Business actually could equate life in in this world, and yet her son is going to die. So so there's the the question of do I pick the possibility of death for all of us, uh, this whole family, if we can't sell things, or at least for sure a, a world change, or do I just let my son die? And she chooses to let the son die. Um, so so in that respect, I think that's one of the scenes that Brecht is leaning hard into. She is choosing business and, and the ability to have herself survive and and the the and keep the her livelihood and and continue to profit off this war over the life of one of her children. Absolutely. This is the this is one of the more crystallized moments of the mother courage money off of war who you know what am I going to value how what hard choices am I going to make? I think for me, the the grossest part of it is the haggling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, it's not like she chooses. Sorry, I don't have the two hundred. I don't want to lose my card. Swiss cheese is dead. She she ultimately, when that is what she sends Yvette back and says, "Okay, two hundred, just go." Right. It's, it was a matter of timing. So I find a little bit of redemption on her choice there. But here's the other reality. You say, well, she has the means to do it, so why didn't she do it? But is that really the case? <laughs> she doesn't have the means to do it. She's had to put up her cart, the thing that they live on. Mm-hmm. This isn't, a, I, for me, to make this the, the morally abhorrent choice that Mother Courage makes assumes that there's any kind of real choice. Right. On the one hand, you lose a child. On the other hand, you might all die. You've got children to support. So what? You sell the cart. Now you've got two kids again. I guess they're both alive, but what? Starving? Yeah. It, the, the problem of the scene for me, and it's of course it's not really a problem. I'm sure Brecht imagined it this way, is that it's very gray. Mm-hmm. For me, I end up feeling more for the fact that the war has put Mother Courage in this position than I do end up experiencing uh, abhorrence for the decision that she actually ended up making. Yeah. Which, of course, I, is not what Breck wants me to do. Right. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> I admit that even as I was summing up my position a second ago, <laughs> I was like, oh, she actually picked life for her, the more of the family. Right. <laughs> she had, well, she had to choose between the life of one of her children and the life of her, her daughter, um, and, and the chaplain who's with them at this point, who's like undercover with them. So she made a choice for that life instead of the one life, I guess. Well, and like I said, ultimately she didn't, right? Because she wanted to yeah. offer the 200. <laughs> she sends Yvette back saying, okay, fine, it, we'll do it. Just get my son back, but it's too late. Right. And ultimately, I think it's the ha- I, I think there's a both and here. I do think that Brex wants us to experience the reality of war putting people in positions of having to choose between to having to make impossible choices. We can we can understand that level and at the same time understand the the moral gray area of haggling over the price of your child's life because ultimately it's the haggling that causes 
cost Swiss cheese's life. She ultimately is willing to pay the money, but the haggling costs his life. In that way, it's almost a tragic flaw um, because there are other areas of the play where the haggling saves their lives. Like she is a, a master at haggling and she gets she gets like a ton of money for this chicken that she you know basically found on the side of the road in one other scene um, out of this out of this cook. And and so so the haggling that the ability to, to survive in this world is one of her strengths. It's the ability. It's the reason she's been able to survive this long. However, in this one instance, the the overextension of that talent of that gift causes uh, a terrible thing to happen. Um, and and I agree that it's a it's a tenuous little string to say that the haggling is the thing that's actually <laughs> that actually killed her son, but. I, I wonder if that is not what Brecht is asking us to do in this scene. He doesn't see uh, the, the 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 mechanics of war around them are are oppressive. But uh, th- to focus on the family for this moment, it seems it seems like this is this is her moment of uh, tragedy in the play. Because even after this, many of the other instances of people dying in her life don't have to do with her, <laughs> right? Like her other children just kind of die as a result of the war and 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 things pressing in on them uh, her older son Ailif eventually dies um because he was he, he gets killed by his own side i think but uh for for stealing cows after an armistice is called right and there's the 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 meta level of what happens there is that earlier in the play the oldest son is commended. He's brought into the general's tent and fed a big feast and rewarded and praised for putting together this sort of harebrained scheme to steal all these cows from these Catholic peasants. And then later in the play, he's marched on in chains because he did what he says was just about the exact same thing, only it was quote-unquote peacetime. Mm-hmm. And then after he's executed, we learn that actually it was quote-unquote wartime. Right. Yeah, <laughs> just uh, a... The news is delayed, so no, no, nobody really knows when the war is on and when the peace is on. Just utter chaos that these characters live in. It is a world of chaos that they are trying to survive, to carve out some sort of existence in. So, so I, 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 just to work all the way back around to how we started on this trail, it's really hard to try to see her as a villain. <laughs> it's it's hard to to justify that that you know. Uh, villainizing her for for the choices she makes. Yeah, I I mean I appreciate the the sense that at some level the play is about how mother courage is involved in makes her livelihood on war, how her her business exists only because of war and that Brecht is trying to make a gray area point about that. But on the other side, the poor woman loses three of her children, (laughs) and one of them is tenuously at best connected to a decision she made. Because ultimately, it's not like she killed him. Yeah. Like a a troop of soldiers captures him and tortures him and executes him. Tenuously at best, she makes a mistake (laughs) that could have said, you know, she fails in an attempt to save his life. That's really, I think that's the most blame you could assign Mother Courage for that. She (laughs) fails in an attempt to save his life. Right, right. (laughs) The other two children, I mean, you're right. Mother Courage is not really in any way involved in their in their debts. So she's a she's a very empathetic character. She 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 has a sad journey through this play. I wonder I'll, I'll I'll take one more crack at trying to blame Mother Courage for something just for the theater historians out there. Uh, <laughs> um I wonder, as I was thinking over those two other times that her children die, she is gone both times. She is off uh, uh, selling things. The first time, the, the actually, in all beats of how that happens, she's she's selling something. When Aleph is recruited by the sergeant, she has been distracted kind of behind her wagon to sell uh, some of her, her wares to, uh, a corporal that's with the sergeant. And the sergeant at that point is like, Hey, come on, we're going to, you're going to be a a brave fighter person. And then basically like steals her eldest son while she's not looking. And she's like, Oh, well, okay, shoot. Let's keep going. Hopefully we see him again someday. Um, (laughs) the, the next time is, uh, the Swiss cheese moment, which we've, we've, we've talked about quite a bit. Um, 
Elif dies when uh, kind of comes to the wagon to say goodbye. He knows he's captured. He knows he's about to die. And she's gone trying to sell her wares before peace takes all the prices away from her. So Elif misses her. She doesn't get to say goodbye to him as he's about to be executed. And then the final and beat. To the end of the play, Mother Courage believes Elif is alive because nobody yeah. ever told her that he died. Mm hmm. The jerk cook never brought it up. Um, <laughs> we'll get to the cook in a minute. Um, <laughs> the 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 last uh, child that she loses is alone at this farm when uh, a Catholic army comes through and makes the uh, the the very brave choice to warn the town that she knows Mother Courage is in selling things that the that the Catholic army is coming by standing on the roof and beating a drum so loud that eventually. Uh, uh, they have to shoot the uh, the army shoots her the Catholic army shoots the daughter and eventually the city next to them hears the shots and begins to pick up the fight and Mother Courage survives uh, though she is not there when her daughter dies <laughs> right in some ways in that final moment the daughter Katrin gives her life for Mother Courage uh, now the peasants do the, and I'm just calling them the peasants because that's what their characters are in the scripts. Yeah, they're uh, actually peasant, called the peasants. <laughs> they're called the peasants. The, this peasant family that is with the daughter when she is killed, they they do uh, raise the idea that this daughter may not have actually climbed up and warned the town if it were just Mother Courage at risk. But they've actually they've been discussing amongst themselves this family that they have cousins or something that have young children in the town that are also going to be killed this family attacks and of course the whole village will be killed so they actually make the point well when the soldiers are trying to stop her that it's not just her mother in there she's she's really doing this to save the whole town but in a lot of ways the daughter offers her life so that the the attack can be foiled and mother courage lives on by that sacrifice mm-hmm so each of these moments, she's uh, I, I, this must be intentional. She is off selling things. She is off making a profit from the war um, as as each of her children die. Uh, so that's I mean, at, at, when you when you uh, kind of I believe that the meta image of this, when you're looking at it from far above, woman loses three of her chi children during the Thirty Years Wars War as she tries to survive by selling wares to the army. That's a very sympathetic story. <laughs> I wonder if on a very personal level, a very zoomed in minimal scale, that's where we're, we're meant to engage this topic of profiteering off of war. Um, there, there are lines where she will frequent, frequently throughout the play, she's like, no, we can't be at peace. We need to be at war more. I just bought more stuff. Let's come on. Start right. killing when each other. peace <laughs> happens, the characters around her say almost all of them basically say to her, why do you look so glum about this peace time? chin up there don't don't be so upset <laughs> about the fact that the war is over mm -hmm. and i think you're right the, the uh, when we when we head down into a scene by scene look at mother courage things like this happen this is uh scene one recruiters are trying to recruit mother courage's sons to join the fight and mother courage basically said you're not getting my kids this is ridiculous i don't want my kids to go off and die you're wild at the same time she's been telling them how much money she's making with her cart selling in the camps and so the sergeant says a minute back you were admitting you live off the war how else should you live what from but how's anyone to have war without soldiers mother courage says no need for it to be my kids the sergeant says oh you'd like war to eat the pips but spit out the apple it's to fatten up your kids but you won't invest in it your sons aren't scared of it i can see that mm-hmm like this, and, and and there's so there's the there's also that argument. It's a it's it's a it's an old argument of this like you know sacrifice that should be paid. Um, and she's she's kind of withholding, uh, withholding her own from a terrible thing while profiting off of that terrible thing. And that scale is not one that that people uh, uh, value. It's not a very honorific. Uh, scale for her to be trying to walk yeah, around with. The sergeant just there says it in in pretty stark terms. You you're this war is to fatten up your family, to fill your family's pockets while all the other kids die. Everybody else's families are killed as soldiers or or you know their villages are torn apart by cannons, but it's the the war makes your family well fed. Mhm. Mm yeah. So so I I mean 
it's 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 hard. It's hard to try to figure out exactly where to draw the line. But I think some of the the responsibility for for uh, the individual actions of this play has to rest on Mother Courage and not just on the the war itself and the world around them. And it, it I think it's also possible to look at what occurs and see that Mother Courage is not responsible for the death of her children. She's not at fault for that, you know, tenuously best. Well, she's off-selling. She failed in an attempt to save Switchy's life. We've said that. But it does, she doesn't, she still is part of the system that allows for those things to keep happening to other people's kids over and over. And we just happen to be witnessing the stretch of time in which it's also her kids. Yeah, yeah, years and years pass in this play. So, and there's even a scene where she's like uh, riding the carriage and has silver coins around her neck. So, in the in the reading of this play, some of the like the success and and in in that one scene where she has the, all the silver coins, the opulence of her uh, succeeding off of this this uh, this war. Um, is 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 noticeable, and certainly with the alienation effects and the the kind of jarring effects of Brecht to to have these songs that are sung throughout the play and these you know uh, jarring light effects and stuff, those moments would be drawn out in the performance. This the moments when Mother Courage is on top and loving it. Yeah, the the end of scene one is one of the more famous quotes of the play. As Mother Courage is rolling off, the sergeant says like the war to nourish you, have to feed it something too. If you're going to benefit from this system, it's going to end up costing you as well. And Mother Courage doesn't necessarily have to be here. In fact, it's established early in the play that she's left her home country, brought her family with her (laughs) to the area where the war is because they can't wait around for the war to get to them. There's money to be made. There's (laughs) a living to be made. Come on. (laughs) Yep. Let's 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 bring some of the, the the two other kind of characters that have quite a bit of time in this play into this, and I'm thinking of the chaplain and the cook uh, in this in this play because I think some of that has to if if we uh, if if anything these two characters have a bit more uh, a route for redemption for Mother Courage than some of the rest of what we're talking about. I'm thinking of the chaplain is in danger uh, when when the the same beat. When the camp is uh, being overturned, the chaplain uh, gets out of his Lutheran outfit, basically, and becomes uh, Mother Courage's like dish boy or something, or <laughs> uh, a pot stirrer for for the food that she's serving. And and she, she uh, despite the fact that uh, she kind of ends up sacrificing a lot of her family, um, she she is pretty open to include people who need her help into the family as well. And and the chaplain is one such example of this. She she welcomes him in, him in, she protects him even though there's quite a bit of risk involved if he were to be found out cuz suddenly she would not be this kind of, you know, uh Switzerland in the camp of just a canteen lady. She she, she would suddenly be harboring a uh, Lutheran Protestant in the middle of a Catholic camp. It's interesting. So the moment where the chaplain is desperate for a disguise, basically, the Catholics are overwhelming the Lutheran war camp. They're about to take over. There's a Lutheran priest, Lutheran chaplain there in full religious uniform. He needs some way to hide. And Mother Courage initially resists just handing out wares from her store but then gives in. The chaplain says, you know, I, this, it's basically this or I get killed. I mean, what, what are you going to do? So for a character that is supposed to be the result of like magnifying glass criticism of her participation in this, this system of war, she also has these moments where she's willing to put herself out there for other people. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily... Uh stop throughout the play either there's also the just to i'm going to try to get get one more in here with this with the cook um the cook comes to her eventually and the cook is in love with her throughout the play it's this whole thing um and uh he eventually says he's he's been traveling with uh mother courage and katrin for a while katrin is her daughter and he doesn't like katrin um uh he he says that he has this in that he wants to uh, pick up. His aunt has died and left him an inn, and he invites Mother Courage to come, but will not allow Katrin to come. 
And so in that instance, we see another another opportunity for uh, Mother Courage to kind of be successful. She wouldn't have to travel anymore. She would go to this inn. Um, and in that instance, at least, she chooses her child over that success. So, so these two characters uh, provide two more, uh, two more uh, dimensions to Mother Courage. The chaplain is she shelters him. The cook offers her a way out, and yet, and 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 a chance to abandon her child. And she doesn't take this one. She chooses her child. She chooses the harder choice to kind of take care of her family. Right, and the the you know writing such a complex character who at times makes the right choice and at times makes the wrong ones makes the water of mother courage murky and perhaps this is part of why people tend to feel mother courage more on that meta level as a woman who tries her best but in the end loses three of her children Whereas if Brecht had written a more starkly greedy corporatist figure right. uh, and called her Mother Courage, maybe we would be more uh, more willing to accept her as uh, not, not pitiable. But I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm ultimately. I'm not even sure Brecht wants her to be a villain. But at yeah. least as somebody we can hold up and criticize. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I. <laughs> I wonder why, um, but 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 also the other part that that we then get is is through her as kind of a through line for criticism. We get to criticize what war does, and I think that's I mean beyond beyond what um, what what it does on the individual level. Brecht really wants us to criticize what war makes people do. And, and the, there's a reason why he took this play back to Germany to do it. Um, he, he he believed that this play had to be done, so or his work could was best understood in Germany. Um, he, he brought it there and he, and he's speaking into this because he's went through two wars in this place. He's seen what war does to good people, people that he knows, um, and what the choices that they make and how they affect people and how even someone as complicatedly good as mother courage is, can be a part of this greater evil that, that war welcomes people into. Right. Allowing characters like the chaplain and the cook to be around Mother Courage, people that she doesn't always necessarily have to explain things to or parent, people who are her peers in this system of war in some way. I mean, you know, we're talking about a cook for soldiers, a chaplain for soldiers, and a salesman for soldiers. Three fairly clear representations of the way, of people that can that allow for war to continue. You need those things in war. And they, they're they allowed to have some of those discussions that reveal some of what Brecht is wanting us to take with us as we leave the space. Here's, here's an example of one of the just heart-wrenching anti-war sentiments that exist in this play. Mother Courage is talking to the chaplain, and she's talking about how soldiers have basically torn apart this town. They've attacked young women. They're, the soldiers are rapists and violent when they do their looting. And the chaplain says, it's not them, the soldiers. It's not them I blame. They never went raping back home. The fault lies with those that start wars. It brings humanity's lowest instincts to the surface. And, and that theme... That theme is brought up quite a bit in in addition to that. We see the people who whip these people into a frenzy. Um, At least within the purview of the play, the blame goes up the chain to the colonels, to the generals, to the kings who are off off stage um, for the actions of these people, for this this uh, for creating the situation wherein people act this way. And they understand the the chaplain and the cook, they understand the way the war system works. They understand it in the same way that Mother Courage does. They're both aware of the sort of inevitability of war. The, the cook, so at one point in the show, Mother Courage is wondering if peace is about to happen. One of the major leaders has been killed. We don't meet these leaders. They're not characters in the show, the, the big head honchos, the kings and emperors, anything like that. We hear about their actions, and one of them is killed, and so now they're wondering, is peace about to come? And the chaplain says, no, war, this, this war and war in general will go on forever. And if it starts to die out, he says, emperors and kings and popes will come to its rescue. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that, that that they have a vested interest in keeping this going. The, the chaplain has an interest. I think it's around the same time as that scene. He's lamenting his loss of ability to be a player in that world. Um, he he has this scene where he's been he's been basically being a cook for for Mother Courage for a while, and he he like re- recounts his uh, ability as a pastor to whip soldiers into a frenzy, and uh, so I. I I agree that throughout this play, especially those three, have these really poignant moments of self-reflection about themselves, and and not and I don't think all of them end up uh, at the point where they're like, oh, I should I should turn from the error of my ways, but certainly they grapple well, with the consequences. Well, now hold of it. on there, because that's I'm interested in that. I think both the chaplain and the cook do turn from the error of their ways, right? I mean, if we look at the chaplain and the cook and Mother Courage as a trio, the mm-hmm. chaplain says a number of times, we don't actually see what ends up happening to him, we just hear about it, but he has told us a number of times, I can't be a chaplain anymore. In mm-hmm. fact, at one point he says like something like, I, I, since I've been with Mother Courage, I've become so much more of a good person that I could never <laughs> go back to being a pastor. <laughs> Brecht had some issues with religion as well uh-huh. that yep. come through in the chaplain character. And so that's what the chaplain tells us. The cook, we know that he goes off to take over running an inn because he doesn't want to participate in this war anymore. Mm-hmm. Only Mother Courage picks up her cart and keeps rolling, even despite all she's lost. Yeah. She's still going to participate in this system of war. Uh, and just just for uh, those of you who are curious, the, the, the translation that we're quoting from is the John Willett translation. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to corroborate any of the <laughs> the lines or the semantics of these characters. I, I think that's an interesting uh, uh, note that they, they, they do end up leaving the war machine, I suppose. Although the, the chaplain is the hazier one of those because he's, he puts on his Lutheran robes and goes back. Um, is the last time we see him. Um, but I think the assumption is that he's looking for a church now. He's not. He's not wanting to be a part of like the war chaplaincy. Um, and and yeah, and and Mother Courage, Mother Courage continues even at the end of the play. Um, after losing everyone to try to go find her son, she continues to engage in 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 the war complex in in selling her wares to keep the war on. So this is not just uh, a play among any plays. This is a Brecht play. So it has some fairly unique characteristics. We've talked about some of what Brecht wants the audience to experience about the play. But how does Brecht ask, uh, go about trying to make that occur? What are some of the techniques of the theater of alienation that we see in the show? Yeah, yeah. There's a number of them, and they're, they're, they are stark, <laughs> as they should be. <laughs> yeah. um, first of all... A good chunk of this play is in song. Um, the opening lines, basically, the opening scene of this play is a musical number as Mother Courage comes on. Um, uh, the, she, she, the introduction to Mother Courage is her singing like a business song. Um, and throughout the play, there, there are moments where you are jarred out of a scene by suddenly uh, a character starts singing. Um, and it's, it's not, not always uh, necessarily the, the uh, emotional right choice for the scene that it's in. And that is by intent. You are supposed to disengage emotionally from what's happening with these songs. Right. So at one point, sort of in the middle of a long scene in which we know a character is going to die because of something we'll talk about here in a minute, Yvette just sings this song about how she used to date this cook who uh, was pretty cruel to her at the end of all things. Yep. (laughs) And that's just the song that she sings. Uh, Mm -hmm. And they're, they're... just such incredible fodder for a design team. You know, as we as we were telling the context of the show, we'd do research and figure out what, what all has happened with these shows. And we really could have named composers just as often as directors because the show has so much music in it and it's not music that's been composed. There's not there's not a, a folio that it comes with it with all the sheet music. It's just the script. And so production teams have to imagine what those songs look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's up to the characters of the team to come up with it. Um, the other one that you've kind of set up for us is is the the uh, the scene descriptions or uh, that that come up, and whether that's today we use projectors for it a lot, or back I, I believe in the '30s it would have been placards right. or some sort of thing. So Brecht loves this idea that we can 
help to separate the audience from the emotion, the emotional cathartic experience of something unexpected and painful happening by revealing that it's going to happen earlier on in an open, uh, disconnected way. So he used placards, these sort of large signs. Today, we would probably use projections. Although I saw some clips of people just coming out and saying them. And I got to say, my immediate thought was, I don't think that's what Brecht had in mind. (laughs) I don't think these are like narrative moments. Right. (laughs) I think they're supposed to be sort of disconnected with the action that's occurring. But I divest. Here's an example. (laughs) The top of scene three. Three years later, Mother Courage is taken prisoner along with elements of a Finnish regiment. She manages to save her daughter, likewise her covered cart, but her honest son is killed. If you don't know a lot about Brecht, this is not like Star Wars, where it's back narrating uh, narrating everything that's happened up till the scene we're about to see. What I just read was the description of the scene we're about to see. She's taken prisoner, along with other uh, rest of her cart, by these Catholic soldiers. She, she saves her daughter and her cart, but her honest son is killed. Swiss cheese, the honest son, is killed. We've talked about what happens in those scenes. That's a description of what's about to happen. Spoiler alert. But that's the point. (laughs) That is the point. The point is that you are queued up to not be emotionally verklempt by the end of the, when this scene happens. When the son dies, Brecht does not want you to uh, be sobbing. He wants you to listen to the words that the characters are saying. (laughs) Right. He he wants you to be clear headed enough to see why did the son die in this moment? What am I supposed to learn about how the world works and how unjust these oppressive systems are so that I can go out and change them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it keeps you focused. It 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 it, it spoils things for you. It, it takes you out of this experiential train that you're on and sets you in the moment, sets your brain in the moment to engage what is happening. And then the other way that Breck does this, and this is not specifically unique to Breck, but it's so masterfully employed in Mother Courage, is the dark humor. Right. I mean, yeah. this play, as we've described it, and as you know, if you've read it, is tragically it's it's anti-war because we see how terrible war is and what it's done to this family and the people around. It. It's got all that in it. And smattered throughout is just some real stark black humor. Oh, yeah. And like slapstick humor. And there's lots of prop negotiation uh, throughout. The, yeah. Yeah. There's there's, there's you're, you're laughing at the same moment or within the same paragraph basically as something just terrible coming out on stage <laughs> like one of the jokes that i found so funny it's just a play on words the chaplain has caught up with mother courage in the field uh and he sees uh catherine come out this the mother courage's daughter and he says uh and who is this entrancing young person and mother courage says that ain't an entrancing but a decent young person <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean that's just simple wordplay but it, it you know you know, it, it does feel a little, it, it's a punny joke that's a little bit out of place in this war, anti-war epic. Yeah, absolutely. The, there's there's lots of back and forth between like Mother Courage and the chaplain, especially. And and I agree, it, it it's it's out of place. It, it jars you out of the experience again, and and keeps you keeps you separate from uh, the 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 sad world <laughs> that they're in. The other the other one that 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 you don't get when you're reading it is. Uh, lighting. You get stark lighting throughout this play. Uh, one of the one of the scenes calls for like a, a harsh spotlight. You're not going for naturalistic light. You're not going for like uh, an ex- again not an experiential like ooh I'm on the fields of Germany with these people. You're 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 looking at them in a very uh, uh, focused light to try to engage the world that they're in. And that's one of those elements that would would appear in Brechtian production that is not so fully represented in the script. There are many elements of Brechtian production, the cast being on stage, scene changes, costume changes, things like that appearing in full view of the audience, the stage architecture and the stage magic being revealed as part of the experience as well that is not necessarily literature, but is definitely part of what Mother Courage is, or at least ought to be in a faithful production that is true to what Brecht envisioned. 
Yeah, you have to you have to kind of take the theory and run with it from there. To do a Brecht play to make a lot of it make sense, you have to adopt some of the, the the theoretical choices that Brecht made as a part of his epic theater movement. And 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 moving into that tradition brings the play to life. I wonder Jackson in our final few minutes here if we might look back on the play that is famously inspired by Mother Courage. We talked about it at the beginning of season two, Lynn Nottage's epic uh, play, Ruined, where which is it's a Pulitzer Prize winning play that we know she's said it's very clear is very specifically based on this experience of Mother Courage. In Ruined, Mama Nottie, not Mother Courage, but Mama Nottie, runs a um, basically a bar and a brothel in the middle of these terrible uh, crisis, uh, civil wars that are occurring throughout the Congo. Yeah, I was thinking about that as I was uh, reading through this play and just kind of noticing some of the similarities. There are plenty of similarities in this play. Um, However, I also noticed uh, some of the stark differences as well. Um, notably, uh, I mean, one, one can't uh, help but notice what Mother Courage is selling is not the same thing as what Mother Na- Mama Nadi is selling. Uh, Mother Courage is selling wares. Mama Nadi is uh, selling uh, her, her girls um, and, and providing. Yeah, the the counter argument is they're both they're both have a bar. <laughs> That's right? true. I mean, Mother Courage does definitely sets up a bar everywhere she goes, which Mama Nadi does as well. Mm-hmm. But I I think that you're you are right that the the specific items that are being sold are not so morally uh, uncomfortable as mm-hmm. what Mama Nadi's engaging in, which for me at least made Mama Nadi a more empathetic character, which is a weird <laughs> weird way for that to go. But but it. it it made this situation of the war that they were in and what they were forced to have to do make the sanctuary that Mama Nadia is providing mean that much more. Um, what this play, I think, does is uh, concentrates you around the materials that uh, Mother Courage is selling and thus the, the room for critique um, is a little bit wider. Um, I, don't, I don't have as much room for critique over, over Mama Nadi. <laughs> Well, yeah, we could go back and listen to our discussion on Ruined. I suspect we offered plenty of critique of Mama Nadi in that discussion. But I do think that it's the interesting. You talked about Mama Nadi creating this sanctuary, which is only possible for her to do because the war came to her. Right. I mean, she's she owns a shop, mm, a brothel, yeah, yeah, a yeah. place. She's stuck there and she decides to stick it out and make money on what's occurring around her, which is the same sort of questionable choice. But Mother Courage, as we've already discussed, goes to the war and mm-hmm. she she doesn't create this sort of sanctuary place that people come to to escape the war. She goes in amongst it. Right. In that first scene, she tells the story of getting her name, Mother Courage, because she's running the front lines, selling bread before it gets moldy. That's an excellent distinction. The The location of it is a fixed one. The war overwhelms Mama Nadi and the and her world, and she has to adapt to, to survive in it, versus this one being thrown into it, <laughs> or being uh, walk, walking your way into the storm out of a choice to try to try to put yourself and your family in danger uh, to, to make some money off of it. I can't help thinking, too, that the one of the major distinctions in these two uh, versions of the same meta story is the final image. Oh, absolutely. And the final image <laughs> of Ruin, Mominati and the salesman, I regret to say that I can't remember the salesman's name, but this salesman has come and that he and Mominati are, uh, you know, slowly throughout the play, they are developing this relationship. And at the end, they I believe the play ends with them dancing. And this is the final image. It's this human connection. Whereas Mother Courage wraps her daughter's body up, picks the cart up, and continues on alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, we're not the, supposed to identify her, though. We're not. We're not no, supposed yeah, to feel not, the pathos no, of yeah. that. The, you know, or the, it's, it's, we can't. We can't experience that. No, don't feel bad about that. Stop. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> but no, that 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 difference is stark. Um, the, the you almost get the feeling that a family is is kind of coming out of the ashes in in uh, ruined, um, and and in this one in the ashes, the family has died in in Mother Courage. So. That, that, yeah, but don't feel bad about it. 
Well, I think that's all the time we have for this particular script. Uh, Mother Courage is one of those plays that's so full and so important and so rich in its its importance in literature, its importance in drama, in theater theory, its major production. I mean, we could do a whole episode just on the various imaginings of the script and what yeah. they've meant to the anti-war movement of the day. I mean, uh, you heard me talk about a number of productions in the 60s. Hello! In the early 2000s. Hello. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> this play is part of the culture because war is part of the culture, unfortunately, as as Brecht so poignantly highlights the disastrous, violent, painful consequences of that. Yeah, there's there's scenes and scenes of just deep back and forth dialogue, critiquing war, critiquing the situation. As we said, there's comedy in there, bunch of great characters that all have names like, you know, a soldier, an older soldier, another sergeant. These characters still have <laughs> like really interesting lines in yeah, the play. Yeah, they're full, r- very rich people. It'd be fun to, it, I think it'd be fun to be even a cursory actor in yeah. a production like this, playing another soldier. Right, right. So if you have been in this play and played another soldier or if you just like one of the scenes that we didn't have the chance to get into please find us on facebook instagram or twitter at the username at no script podcast or uh we have a gmail no script podcast at gmail.com find us on any of those sites and we'd love to keep uh kind of sussing out the themes of this play with you uh from from your experience from your perspective or just from your reading of the play hit us up on any of those sites let's keep talking about it Absolutely. If you want to recommend our podcast to somebody, which is a great way that you can help us out, you can send them to Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or Podbean, where we are hosted. Yeah, and until next week, you'll see uh, the update every week on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter about the next show. Until next week, when you see that, though, and when we're talking about another play, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for listening to No Script. See ya. See ya.